0: Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Today's reading is Psalm 145, 1 through 13. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed at King's Quest while the rest of us are seated.
0: Thank you, Hallie, for that reading. I think Hallie has the she had the toughest job this morning, which is to quiet all of you <laughs> wanting to hang out, which is incredible. My name's Daniel Long, I'm a pastor here at Grace. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll get into the word this morning. Um, God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here with one another, worshiping you, to hear from you, to be formed by you. And I ask that as we, as we hear from your word, as we consider the words that you gave to us through Jesus of how to talk with you that, you, that you would take hold of our imaginations, our longings, our desires, so that we might be shaped more into your likeness, into the likeness of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've been in a series on the Lord's Prayer, um, where we're looking at the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, that Jesus gave us, that's to shape the way that we pray um, to God. And we've talked about this prayer being an invitation from Jesus, an invitation into friendship with Christ and with one another an invitation to have our imaginations shaped. And an invitation to have our understanding of the good life shaped by Jesus. Not by what we want or what we desire, but rather by the abundant life that Jesus said that he came to give us. It says in John that, that Jesus came to give us life and to give us abundant life. And we all have an imagination, we all have an idea of what that good life looks like, but Jesus offers us truly what the good life is. And by praying through the Lord's Prayer, our lives, our desires, our longings become shaped in the way that God would have them shaped to then want what it is God wants. And so last week I shared this this idea of the prayer, um, and it's a quote from Stanley Hauerwas and Will Williman that the Lord's Prayer is a lifelong act of bending our lives toward God in the way that God has offered. The Lord's Prayer is an act of bending our lives toward God, that as we pray the prayer that Jesus gave us, as we learn from Jesus how to pray, our lives are drawn to God more and more, and thereby shaped in the way that God would have us be shaped. Now, we've been in the series not just talking about prayer, but the hope and the desire is that we would be people who pray through this prayer, that we might be people who who enter into a life of praying. And one of the things that Beth and I have been doing over the last couple weeks, and we will continue over the next six weeks, is by having opportunities to pray together. Now, if you're interested in doing that, and we've had people in our home over the last two weeks praying, um, there's some information in your bulletin. You can see where it's going to be happening tonight, and we'd love to have you there at 7.30. Now, I just want to describe some of what I think has taken place and why I've been encouraged by it. So the first week, we had um, a wonderful group of people, and one of the things that that came out of that time, we're trying to pray, but we're also trying to listen. One of the things that came out of that time is, is that we prayed the prayer that Jesus prays in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And some of the ways that we described the power of that prayer is that that we come into contact with, or at least we're aware of, our own will. And what's fascinating is you all represent a will. So there are hundreds of wills here in this room. So how does that work? How does God actually take all of our different ideas, imaginations, understanding of the way things are supposed to work, how church should be, and form it into something that that God would then use to move us? Well, through prayer, together, by listening. And we did that, and it's been wonderful. Last week, one of the things we did, which was really, really incredible, is that we prayed for all of you. Um, Beth actually printed out a whole list of people who connected to grace, cut out little strips of paper, put them in a bowl, and the 19 people who were there took a handful, and we spent time praying over each and every name. And one of the things that came out of that time of how people described it was how much affection they had for you in praying for you. Even if they didn't know you, wanting what God would want for you produces within them or produced within them an affection for you. A desire to see that God would work among us. Now that's profound because what that shows me or reminds me of is that prayer has shaping power it both shapes our wills into god, into hopefully be formed by god but then it also shapes our affections and as we prayed for you our affections were stirred what an incredible thing it's been amazing come 7:30 tonight it's really great and here's the thing it's not just like me and one other person cuz that would be weird it's we've we've been waiting for you no it's not it's it's like um it it's a It's a group of people who are coming together and desiring to be in prayer with each other for what God might have for us. So, just an invitation. Would love to see you there. So this week, we're going to be looking at the phrase, Hallowed be your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this phrase, you know, as we talked about last week, that we name God as Father, but then we also locate God in heaven. So there's this sense of proximity, but then also distance, and this otherness of God, which keeps us from domesticating God. We can't use God for our purposes, but we're swept up in what God has. Hallowed be your name, I think, continues along that trajectory. And as I've been praying through this prayer, one of the things I've noticed is I can almost locate a posture in and even a direction in these prayers. I begin, you know, our Father, there is a sense of intimacy and closeness, not just with God but with you, but then our attention is drawn upward. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And these next three petitions, because it turns from an address, our Father in heaven, to asking that God would do things. And these next three are very specific because they're completely oriented to God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So our attention is drawn to God in praise and in glory and in adoration. And what effect might that have on our prayers? And as we think about these petitions, the way that the Greek actually renders these, I find really helpful and informative because they're petitions of of asking that God would just do something. Like you can almost think of it, our Father in heaven, make. Holy your name. Make your kingdom come. Make your will be done. So there's this sense of okay, our Father in heaven, make holy your name. But what does that actually mean? If you've been around the church, you know that hallowedness to be hallowed is connected to something like holy and sacred, but why are we asking that God would make make his name holy? What are we actually doing when We pray that prayer. What is Jesus wanting us to do? How might we be shaped in praying that prayer? Well, to think about holiness in God's name, it should or it would have with the disciples and maybe for us, bring us back to the story of the Exodus. Bring us back to Exodus. If you want to turn your Bibles, you can to Exodus 3, page 46 in the Blue Bibles. I want to look at this briefly. But here in Scripture... In this part of the story, these two things of God's holiness and God's name are brought so closely together. I'm going to start in verse 1. And you know this story, but I'm going to read it anyway. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Here's Moses, right? We know the story that the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, and they cry out to God, and God is going to enact a rescue plan. And he shows up to Moses. After Moses flees Egypt, right? After killing an Egyptian, he flees for his life, and he finds himself here, and then all of a sudden, God shows up and surprises him in this bush that is burning. yet is not consumed. And Moses, of course, what is going on? I mean, we read the story and we think, well, yeah, it's a burning bush. But Moses never saw a burning bush that had not been consumed. And so he hears a voice from this bush, and he moves toward it, and God says, hold on. Take off your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. Because Moses had no idea where he was in the presence of God. But the ground was holy because God was present. But then, of course, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Egypt. I'm going to have you go up up against Pharaoh, and you are going to rescue the people from Egypt. And Moses says, hold on. Who am I supposed to say sent me to do this? If you want to look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh. That's what that I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God's holiness in God's name. Who is sending you to Egypt? I am. Okay, well, what does that mean? I am who I am has sent me. If I was to say that to you, imagine the people of Israel, I am has sent me. Okay. Well, let me clarify. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob... Do you see how fascinating this is? That God, the name of God, is directly connected to relationship. Who God is, is who God is revealing himself to be. One cannot know God unless one is in relationship with God. If you know about God, you do not know God. If you are in relationship with God... Through Jesus, you can know God. Do you understand the the connection between this? That God's name, what he is saying is, if you want to know me, you need to be in relationship with me. I am is the one who will rescue you. And who does God show himself to be to the people of Israel? Consider this for a moment. So Israel is being rescued. But then they will continue to learn about this God as they relate to God. Imagine what it is they're learning. Okay, God, I am, Yahweh, is a God who can control the earth, the sun, the moon. He can make it dark when he wants to. He can turn water into blood. He can send pestilence. He can, he can actually beat and conquer the greatest God on earth that they knew named Pharaoh. He is this God who shows himself to be over and above life, threatening the lives of the firstborn Egyptian people. He is the God who can control the waters and divide and part them. He is the God who takes care of them in the wilderness by giving them food. He is the God who will lead them continually and constantly. Now, imagine Israel being, wow, thank you for rescuing us, and then, oh no, who have we gotten ourselves caught up with? Who is this God? I want to be rescued. I am glad to be rescued, but who am I dealing with? It is this God who cannot be tamed. It is this God who is completely other. It is this God who seems to do what it is God wants to do. This God who is holy and sacred and completely different than they would ever imagine him to be. It makes me think of, of the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Where you have one of the children, I can't remember who, maybe it's Lucy, but she says, um, Is Aslan, she's talking about Aslan, right? Who's this, who's the, this, the figure of, of Christ. Um, and, and she says, Is, is he safe? And you know, and you know the response, right? I think it's the beaver who says, no, Aslan's not safe, but he's good. So Israel is caught up with this God who is holy, who is other, who is sacred, who is not safe, but yet entirely and completely good. But the only way to know the name of this God is to be in relationship With this God. This God who isn't safe, but who is good. This God who is holy, but who is also wanting to be known. So here's what's remarkable about us on this side of Jesus. We, the I am God, has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So who is God like? What does it mean that His name is holy? Look at Jesus. I want to read this quote from a a scholar named C. Clifton Black, and he says this about God as he reveals himself. This is no deistic God who winds the cosmic clock and then, in absentia, allows it to run itself down into fatalistic entropy. On the other hand, God, on God's own terms, is beyond comprehensible definition and therefore beyond any human attempt to cajole, manipulate, or master Israel's God lives in human history, pays attention, and actively intervenes, but does so by unilateral, self-revelatory initiatives of grace and judgment, untouchable by magical incantation. So how is God known? We cannot say the magic words and have God reveal himself to us. God, because he is God, has allowed himself to be known. Through the person of Jesus. We get to know Jesus because God wants to be known. We get to know the name of God because God wants his name to be known. And we have that gift through Jesus. So you want to know God? You want to know who I am is? Know Christ. It says this in Hebrews 1 3. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. By the word of his power. This Jesus is the revelation of God to us. And we, through the Spirit, get to know this God. Get to know his name, which is to be made holy. So to pray and ask that God would make his name holy is a prayer that asks that God would reveal himself as he is. But also when that happens we get to know who we are. So it's a dangerous prayer. To pray that God's name would be made holy is to know who we in fact are. Think of Isaiah 6. The prophet, right, called by God to speak to the people of Israel. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, being Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. you see what's going on? All of a sudden, Isaiah is caught up in the presence of God, and he sees this holiness, this sacredness, this holy other God, and he cannot help but see himself as he is and say, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. So to pray that God would make his name holy is to also pray that we would see ourselves as we really are. As the ones in need of a God who is holy. That we cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot do a good enough job. There is nothing that we can do to attain the holiness of God and yet, in the story, if we are connected to the God who says, I am, we become holy. That God makes us holy. Continuing in Isaiah 6, verses 6-7, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So coming into the presence of the holy God makes one aware of who they are, but it's also where the possibility of renewal is found. With this holy God. So to pray that God would make his name holy is to to pray that we would see ourselves as we truly are, But it's also to pray that God would make us holy. To do what it is we cannot do. And here's the beautiful thing about how God reveals himself in Jesus. Is that the holiness of Jesus seems to affect in like an outward trajectory. And here's what I mean. It's easy to think, right? We've grown up, holiness is to be be set apart. Right? And that's something we're taught. Holiness is to be set apart. So what do we do often is we make sure that we are protected and that we are safe from anything that might make us unclean or dirty. That's what we are supposed to do. We need to be set apart for God. But the holiness of God is such that it actually isn't that that cut and dry. The holiness of God, as revealed in Jesus, is so much more powerful because it has the possibility of making what's dirty clean. When Jesus goes through his ministry, what does the holiness of God as revealed in Jesus do? It heals the sick. It gives sight to the blind. It cures leprosy. Those who are outside of the community are brought in. Death is actually reversed and given life. That the holiness of God as revealed in Jesus has the power of making things clean. The holiness of God has the power of making us clean through Christ. Says this in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That Christ, that through Christ, God has chosen us to be holy and blameless. Not chosen us so that we can work toward holiness. But that in Christ, somehow, God is powerful enough to make us holy. In Colossians 1, it talks about how at one time we were alienated from God. We We were hostile to God. But through Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. That we would be holy and blameless. In 1 Peter, it talks about how we as a community of people, how Christians are given a hope in Jesus Christ, and that we are then called to live into that hope, to be holy, to be blameless, to be a holy nation. Now, it's easy to read those things and say, man, I need to start working harder. I am not holy. But the gospel is such, and what Paul is trying to say, what Peter is trying to say is, that's not true. If you are connected to Jesus, God has made you holy. So start living into it. God has made us holy. If we pray that God would make, that God make your name holy, we are praying that we would see ourselves as other from God, but as also brought near to God in Jesus Christ, that we have Christ's holiness. So stop trying to be holy. Live into what's already true about who you are. Live into what God has already made possible in Jesus. That's what the world needs, is for us to start living into the story that we've been invited into. God, make your name holy. Make us holy. Help us to live into what you've made possible. Because this prayer, how it shapes us, Is when we encounter the God who is holy and our attention is drawn to God in adoration and praise. And when we are a community whose attention is drawn to God in adoration and praise and recognize His holiness and through Christ our holiness, then we're starting to actually live as the world is meant to be. Because we are worshiping people. We are people who worship and we are people who are formed by our worship. Who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? There's this really haunting psalm in Psalm 115 where it talks about all these different different idols and about these these nations who are idolaters, right? And it says that these idols have, have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have hands, but they cannot use them. They have feet, but they cannot walk. And those who make them become like them. We are all worshiping something. The prayer, God, make your name holy, is a prayer that shapes us to worship the right thing. So that we are then in sync with how God made the world to be. We are praying nothing less than that. Than that God would reveal himself as the holy God worthy to be praised. And that we would see ourselves in Christ as holy, as worshiping the one who deserves all of our praise. All of, his, all of the glory. Nothing less than that. We live in a time, culturally, this philosopher Charles Taylor calls, that's affected by the malaise of imminence. That there is nothing beyond what we see. He talks about this thing called the imminent frame. That basically we live within this frame, almost like a box, and there's nothing outside of it. Ordinary life has no possibility of transcendence or enchantment because all there is is what we see within this frame in which we live. And we don't choose this. This is actually what we are living in. Right? This is why it is difficult to imagine your life as caught up in God's story because everything around you, for the most part, says all that's real is what's rational, and tangible and things that you can attain and do. There's nothing beyond it. This is what we are living in right now. This is what we're under constant. Uh, this is what's affecting us. This is what, it's what's affecting the way that you think about your work, the way that you think about your family, the way that you think about your friendships and your school. You think that there is nothing, or maybe you don't, but it's everything is working against you, um, of, of thinking that this is all there is and so where is the significance and this prayer that Jesus gives us that God would make holy his name is a prayer that God would break through that frame and that give us glimpses of who he is that reminds us that we are called to something more and that more doesn't mean like greater things that's not what I mean but that the ordinary life actually becomes so infused with the holiness of God that we recognize that we're caught up in something larger than ourselves. Again, a quote from Stanley Howard and Will Williman. In praying, our Father, each of us is being commandeered by God. Each of us is watching our fate transformed into God's good destiny. We are accounting for something in the larger scheme of things. Enjoying ourselves being caught up in a larger adventure than the merely private or purely personal, joining our voices with those of all creatures in praising a holy God who stoops to us, who enjoys our praise, who delights even to hear our songs. The prayer teaches us in all that we do to hallow the name of God, and in so doing, we discover our true being. In praying the Lord's Prayer, we have been commandeered by God, sanctified, set apart, ordained, made holy. We are commissioned to live our lives in such a way as to make visible to all the world that the holy God reigns, that God has a rightful claim to all of his creation, that God has regained some of his rightful territory from the enemy. Amen. This is what we're praying. This is what this prayer does in shaping our imaginations. That there is a God to be worshipped. There is a God to be adored. That the good life is one in which our direction, all of our energy is directed toward this God revealed in Jesus. And that our holiness is given to us through Christ by the power of the Spirit. By praying this prayer, the hope is that our lives would be lived in such a way that all of a sudden we, like Moses, recognize we are on holy ground and we didn't even know it. That happened to me this week, actually. Uh, Beth and I had an opportunity to go to a pastor's lunch. And here are three pictures, and I'll describe what you're seeing. And I wish I had a picture of all the different um, people who were present. But the purpose of this lunch was actually to come and to hear briefly from three new pastors in the city of Long Beach, and then to pray for them. And so we heard briefly from these three pa- pastors, and then there were blessings given to each of these pastors and it's going to be hard for me to get through this because it was a holy ground moment. But I was sitting there, and I was listening to these pastors, and I was looking around the room. And just so you know, I have to gear myself up for these things. So like, I was sitting in my car for like five minutes saying, you can do this. You got this, Daniel. You can do this. This is like extrovert central. This is not who Daniel Long is. But um, I'm sitting there, and... It was a moment in which God's name was made holy. Because it wasn't about any one person. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about Beth. It wasn't even about these three pastors. It was about the God who's revealed himself in Jesus. Maybe wanting to do something in the city of Long Beach. Through all of these churches... And it's easy to think, oh, wow, Daniel, that's so cool that you get to go to those things because you're a pastor, which it is. That is cool. I'm grateful. But um, beyond this is that each of the pastors and organizations, it wasn't just churches who were represented. Each of the organizations or pastors represent a larger group of people, that these pastors who are here are saying our congregations together want to do one thing, and that is we want to be taken up by God to show the city of Long Beach Who God is. And we are a part of that. We being Grace Long Beach, we being people, we aren't just living our lives as individuals. If we have connected ourselves to Christ, God has pulled us in to his life and to what he's doing. He's drawn our attention to him so that what we want more than anything is that God's name would be made holy, that God would reveal himself as the God who reveals himself in relationship, in Jesus Christ. That is what we want. And here we are, a group of churches, and you are there with me as I'm laying hands on a pastor, a group of churches saying, God, make your name holy. And I can't help but feel very small in the most beautiful way. Which is to say this is not about anything other than God's name being proclaimed. That God's holiness being revealed. So that then has the power and the possibility of transforming everything. Because that is what God does. So the prayer, the hope, as we learn to pray in the way that Jesus prays is that we would be pulled into relationship with God, that our imaginations would be such that we recognize that our lives, though maybe ordinary, are also not just ordinary. But we are walking on holy ground. And that the good life is one lived in continual, consistent relationship with this God who shows us who he is in Jesus. We are praying nothing less than this when we ask that God would make his name holy. Thanks be to God.